Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus, and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, it says this, When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Let's pray once more. Father, we ask that you would give us eyes that we might see, ears that we might hear, and hearts to obey your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. I want to focus on this command. Stand still in the Jordan. God told the Levitical priests that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant to stop moving, to stand still. How uncomfortable are you with standing still? Standing still is the opposite of movement. And we're always moving, doing, growing, advancing. And stillness can be uncomfortable. It can make us vulnerable. Someone once said, I'll be still when I die. I'll stop moving when I die. But that's not God's design. The workaholic is always at odds with sleep because sleep forces the workaholic to cease activity for a season. God gives us here in Joshua chapter 3 a standstill moment. And it comes at one of the most longed-for moments in Israel's history as they are finally crossing the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Now you might wonder, what does this have to do with me? What can I gain from studying this Old Testament scripture? I hear at least one of you saying amen to that question. 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us this, that the sacred writings, which are the scriptures, are able to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Meaning, even the Old Testament of Scripture is able to make us wise unto salvation, is able to show us Jesus. And 2 Timothy goes on to say that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, meaning it will benefit us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so even as we are looking in the past at God's dealings with his people, it's for our instruction. God preserved that for us to benefit from. What God did through his people under Joshua's leadership is something God wanted his people to remember. And because of this, God commanded that 
the priests should stand still in the Jordan. Stand still moments are for remembering. When you take a picture, everyone stands still to preserve that moment in time. As you're watching online from your home, look around your room right now. And I guarantee you'll see a picture somewhere. I want you to look at that picture. For those of you that are here live with me, your phone, you may have a picture easily available. You can see that picture. What does that picture represent? It's people who stood still for a moment in time so that you could benefit from that moment even now in the present moment and on into the future. As you look at that standstill moment, it brings happiness joy, fond memories. God was preserving a moment in time in the memories of his people, and God was recalling for them a time when he had delivered them in a similar way when they came out of Egypt and passed through the Red Sea. God wants his people to know that in the same way that he delivered them out of Egypt... He would also deliver them in to the land of promise in the same way. And in doing so, God wants them to know that he is the same God who is able to save them to the uttermost and to provide for their every need. I don't know about you, but I certainly need a reminder of that, that God is with me, that he may be trusted, that he will provide for my every need. And as we look at this standstill moment, just as we would look at a photograph, we're reminded of that. The same Savior who brings you and I out of our sin is the same Savior who brings us in to new and eternal life, and that is Jesus. We don't have to put the Lord away after he saves us and look for some other means of growth and maturing and developing. Jesus can do that too. And that's important for us. What God begins, God always completes. Even in your salvation. Romans chapter 8 says this, Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. From beginning to end, God accomplishes what he starts. When God commands movement, we should pay attention. If God says, get up and go, you pay attention to that. When God commands stillness, I want to suggest that we should pay even more attention to that. Because It is a moment God wants us to remember. God's people are moving in Joshua chapter 3. Look with me in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And so Joshua 3 begins with movement. Joshua moves, and the people move. But then they stop moving. And what causes the people to stop moving? Why do they lodge in a certain place? And the answer is, there is a barrier 
that they must cross to get into the promised land. The Jordan River is a major physical barrier that separates God's people from God's promise. This barrier caused the people to cease their advancement for a time. Now, learn this about God. God halts advancement. God halts movement in different ways. Sometimes he commands it. You remember the Great Commission text of Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the end of the book of Matthew. And then what happens at the very beginning of Acts? We walk through this together. You remember Acts chapter 1 verse 4. And while staying with them, that's his presence, he, Jesus, ordered them, the disciples, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Notice this. Jesus promises his presence to his disciples in both of these texts. Matthew, a text about making disciples as you go, and Acts, a text about waiting for power. Yet, in the first text, God commands movement, and in the second text, God commands stillness. Wait. Did you know stillness requires maturity? Now, I can prove this to you. Find your nearest three-year-old and ask them to stand still for 30 seconds. I guarantee you it's not going to happen. Those in the room, we've got some in here, three years old. They're shaking their heads. Uh Uh-uh. You know, if you've got grandchildren, you know. You ask that three-year-old, 30 seconds. You can offer them any kind of bribe. They won't do it. Why? Because stillness requires maturity. Those who have walked with God know how to listen for his leading and to move and also how to be still with the Lord. God halts advancement and he brings about stillness in different ways. God can command stillness, but God can also force a stillness. He can use a river like the Jordan. He can use an illness. He can use a pandemic. You name it, God can use it to stop movement and create a moment for remembrance for both now and for the future, a moment to be still and know that he is God, as Psalm 46.10 says. You need to learn in the moments where God has forced you to be still by outside circumstances, you need to learn how to ask the Lord this question, God, Why is it that I am still? Why is it that you have caused me to be still? What is it that I need to learn from you, Lord? What is it that you're showing me? Here I am. Your servant is listening. A moment of stillness reorients us before moving into a work that will require a complete and total dependence upon God. And this is what God desired of his people before they passed into the promised land. 
God wanted them to know that he was for them, that he would lead them, that he would fight for them if they would follow him. Think about the phrase, the calm before the storm. It's a moment of peace and quiet that precedes something that will be difficult, something that will be challenging. In the same way, God gives stillness. God stops movement so that we might refocus our eyes upon God and remember that as God is with us in the stillness, God will be with us in the storm to come. I think about this pandemic. It has brought the church to a stillness, a stillness that has been desperately needed, not just for our congregation, but for many congregations. Our calendars have become still. The busyness of our own creations have ceased. The coffee makers, the printers, the phones that operated endlessly have been quieted. The lights of rooms and hallways and kitchens have been turned off as everything settles and waits in a stillness. As we began this year, I shared with you that I believe the Lord had given us this theme of focus. Have you forgotten that? Focus. And yet what has the Lord done in stilling everything? He's given us a quiet to do just that, to focus on what is most important, to focus upon him in the calm that is right now. Could this moment be the calm before the storm of the church? What challenges await us? What is God leading us into? Is it revival? Is it his return? Could this be the forced stillness that we needed to let God have his rightful place ahead of us, not beside us or behind us, but in front of us to lead? As we gather together each week, online or in person, however we're able, we are declaring that this coming week belongs to the Lord. Every day of this coming week is his. That's what we're doing. That's why we meet at the very beginning of the week. We gather to reorient our priorities. We gather to be reminded through the preaching of God's word that we are a people who are selfish and we should be selfless. The object of our worship is never ourselves, but is the triune God who is always Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Psalm 115.1 begins in this way, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. If we are in danger of getting ahead of God, God may force us to be still to remember that he is God and we are not. In this way, stillness represents lack of movement, but stillness does not represent a lack of inactivity. Even while we are sleeping at night, 
Our bodies are active, giving us the rest and rejuvenation and the health that we need to function during the day. In fact, it's in the process of sleep that our body converts short-term memories into long-term memories for remembrance and sleep. The people lodged at the Jordan, they know that they will pass over it, but they do not know how they will do this. So in their stillness, another work is being accomplished among them. The people prepare. Look with me at Joshua chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before." Wait until you see the ark move. The ark of the covenant is a focal point of this moment. The ark of the covenant represented the presence of God among his people. Where that ark was, there the Lord was with his people. When God gave Moses the law, he gave instructions concerning the building of this ark of the covenant. It was a box that was made of wood, overlaid with gold, inside and out. Inside the ark were placed three items. The first were tablets of the covenant, written by God's own finger, the Ten Commandments. A second item was Aaron's rod that had budded, representing something that was dead, but God brought life out of it. And the third thing was manna. That was bread from heaven. Now, what do these things mean? Just like the law, each of these three items served to remind Israel of their sin, always to have before them a reminder of their sin. The tablets of the covenant would remind the people of the abomination of the golden calf when Israel wanted to make an idol and return to Egypt. Aaron's rod would remind them of Korah's rebellion when men rebelled against Moses' leadership and despised the Lord. The manna would remind them of their grumbling against God in the wilderness. Three items, remembrances of three sins. But likewise, each item represented in some way God's activity. The tablets of the covenant represent the word of God given for us. Aaron's rod represents the power of God for us. And the manna represents the provision of God for us. To see the ark move ahead, the people would remember not only their sinfulness and need for God, but also God's presence with them, his word, his power, and his provision. On top of the ark was a lid of gold that was the mercy seat. It was a covering, and cherubim stood overlooking that mercy seat. And all of this was to say that without the mercy of God, 
covering us, we cannot have the word of God, the power of God, or the provision of God. We receive the mercy of God because of Jesus, because of his blood covering us. By his blood, we might know the word, the power, and the provision of God. Joshua chapter 3 verse 2 said, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. And verse 4 says, Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Stillness reminds us of God's rightful place. He leads we follow. At first, the officers of Israel are the ones speaking to the people. In verse 5, Joshua speaks. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Moses had commanded the same thing of the people before their experience at Mount Sinai before God descended upon the mountain and spoke to the people in a mighty display of power, Moses had said, consecrate yourselves. Here too, Joshua commands the people to consecrate themselves, linking what God did in the past with what he is doing in that present moment. What is consecration? Consecration is an act of making holy removing or distancing oneself from anything that is profane or ordinary. It was a ritual washing or cleansing. Consecration was an act of preparation. Consecration was part of sanctuary worship. We do something like this when we prepare to worship God on Sundays, normally. The night before at dinner or in the evening, we Pray a prayer, a preparation for the services that are to come the next day. We rise early in the morning on Sundays and we shower. We wash away the work of the week and we feel clean outwardly and inwardly. In the new mercies of the morning, we walk in forgiveness of sin and begin a new day and a new week in the Lord. We then gather with the saints to worship God together as a people consecrated, as a people prepared. Some of you have told me that even now you do this while you're in your homes. You don't have to. You can watch, as I know some of you are, in a robe or with coffee. But some of you have told me, hey, I get up early. I shower, even though I'm not going to the church. But I prepare in this way. That's the attitude at what's at work right now. This act of consecration was to prepare the people to experience the wonders of the Lord that would happen tomorrow. Being consecrated was a way of recognizing that their participation in the Lord's mighty wonders would be an act of worship because the Lord would be among them in their midst, moving. Think about what this means as we consecrate ourselves in preparation for worship. It means that we will be participating in the activity of the living God among us. That's what we're doing right now. 
if you want to experience the blessing of God's presence, you prepare. How many people walk away from a service of worship and say, that didn't do anything for me? Such a person hasn't prepared. Because had they prepared and gone through that process of consecration, they would have been reminded that worship is never about me. The act of consecration prepares for that, and it prepares for an encounter with the holy God. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, when Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So consecration is an invitation to witness the wonders of the Lord. Verse 6, and Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. In the stillness, the people prepare. And now look at this. In the stillness, the Lord speaks. After the officers speak in verse 2, after Joshua speaks in verse 5, now the Lord speaks. And this is what the Lord commands. After the people have stopped, after they had prepared, verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Do you see what the Lord's doing? He's going back to the past and planting it in the present. What God did in the past is to be remembered. You might imagine Joshua right at this moment pulling out a photo album with Moses' picture, just looking at it for a moment, and then flipping the pages of his photo journey of what God did through Moses, flipping through the pictures of the Red Sea crossing, the water from the rock, the manna from heaven, the giving of the law, the grumbling of the people, the rebellion of the people, the stubbornness of the people, the faithlessness of the people, the deliverance of God, the exalting of Moses as the leader appointed by God, the provision of God, and his salvation in the midst of all of this. It's not enough just for Joshua to know and remember. God had already told Joshua this. Chapter 1 of Joshua, verses 5 through 6, Joshua said, or God said to Joshua, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. But it's not enough just for Joshua to know this. What about the people How will they know that the Lord is with Joshua to lead them? And so the Lord says in verse 7, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. God will pass on the faith to this new generation of Israel by reminding them of their past and applying it to their present. Why is it that we read the Old Testament? Why did God preserve it for us? Why are we reading it even now? Why does God in the New Testament say that it's profitable for us? Because it points us to Jesus. It points us to what God did then and what he's doing even right now. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Look at Joshua chapter 3, verse 8. And as for you, the Lord says to Joshua, Command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan 
you shall stand still in the Jordan. The Jordan River was not dry at this time of year. It was not a trickling creek. The people would not be able to cross over it on the smooth river stones at the bottom to get from one side to the other. The Jordan River, verse 15 says, overflows its banks this time of year. The Lord did not command the priest to stand still on the banks of the Jordan. That would be too easy. That would not require faith. They were to stand still, what's that word? In the Jordan, in the waters of the river. They had to step in it. The presence of God was not going to see them to this barrier, but through this barrier, not by passing over it or around it, but by going through it, by himself standing in it. Have you ever stepped in something that you wish you wouldn't have? Have you ever walked in a field full of cow patties or in your backyard with dogs and stepped in something you wish you wouldn't have? Have you ever opened your mouth and started a conversation that you wish you wouldn't have? I see some smiles here, yeah. Um, when someone does that, they say, what, you stepped in it, right? We try to avoid stepping in unpleasant things. We try to avoid difficult conversations. We wash our hands, we wear masks, we exercise, we eat right to avoid sickness or disease, but some things are unavoidable. Some things have to be stepped in in order to get through. The lessons God had for his people was not that he would avoid their problem of the Jordan. The Jordan represented only the first of many bigger challenges that were to come for them. But if God walked through this challenge with them, the people would know that God would walk through the future challenges to come with them too. If Joshua was shown to be a leader who had enough strength and courage and faith in God in this challenge, they could follow his leadership in future challenges too. God was going to lead the way and take them through the Jordan, and God was going to do this by going through the Jordan into it first. Look with me at Joshua chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. As soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. Verse 16. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. But the story doesn't stop here. The priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground. Their stillness sent a message for remembrance. It was a moment 
caught on the camera of Scripture, on the film of faith, this moment had to be remembered. Look with me at Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet foot where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Verse four. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, now don't miss this. Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial, a remembrance forever. Twelve stones were taken as a sign for a memorial forever. Now, let me ask you this question. Who were those 12 stones for? The children. Their children. Passing on the faith to the next generation required a deliberate action so that the children would remember. In this case, God wanted it to be something visible as a memorial forever. Think of the cornerstone on the buildings of most churches. Usually it's inscribed with a date. Perhaps some of the founding members of that church are inscribed upon that cornerstone. What is that? Is that date today's date? No. Are those people whose names are etched in the stone still living? No. That stone is not for them. It is for us. It is to remind us that we are living in the midst of what God did through their faith then so that we might carry on the same faith in God now for future generations to come after us. It is a memorial. Church buildings do that. Why is there a steeple? Where did this stained glass come from? Why are these pews here? Church songs do that. John Newton, as I said earlier, wrote Amazing Grace in the 1770s. And even though that song has always been sung, in 2006, some 230 years later, Chris Tomlin brought John Newton's words to new life, speaking those same words of old to a brand new generation. My chains are gone. I've been set free my God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. 
That's what we are to do with the faith. We are to speak the faith of old to the generation of today for tomorrow. And this happened in Joshua. God led Israel through the Red Sea under Moses. And now God led a new generation through the Jordan under Joshua. The circumstances were changed, but God was not. And what God did did not change. His saving work belongs to him and him alone, just as it always has. For Israel, the Jordan River was a barrier that represented their past from their future. And God removed the barrier by planting himself in the midst of it. God himself became the bridge of the covenant promises of the generations of the past, present, and future God. And just like the Jordan River was a barrier separating the people from God's promise, we all encounter a barrier separating us from a holy God, sin. What did God do to deliver us from sin? He stepped in it. Jesus became sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus did this on a cross, suspended as a bridge between heaven and earth. Jesus did this with his blood, poured out so that we might be covered in the mercy of God. If we had no Old Testament, if we never looked at the Old Testament, we would have no frame of reference or understanding of why Jesus had to shed his blood. That's what Hebrews tells us. Jesus did this by being still, buried in a tomb for two nights, so that on the third day he might move, being raised to life again. Jesus does not represent the word of God. He is the word of God to us. Jesus did not stay dead, but was raised from the dead, displaying the power of God so that we might know him in the power of his resurrection. Jesus is the true bread from heaven, for he is the bread of life. And whoever comes to him shall not hunger, and whoever believes in him shall never thirst. And now for us, God's presence is not located in an ark, but is indwelling us by his Holy Spirit. We are a temple, a sanctuary of the Lord. God exalted Joshua as a foretaste of that day when God highly exalted Jesus above all, bestowing upon him a name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why do we study Joshua? So that we can see Jesus. Why do we be still? So that we can put on Jesus. Ephesians 6 says this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, 
Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. That's Jesus. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's Jesus. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in Jesus In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, Jesus, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, Jesus, and the sword of the Spirit, Jesus, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayers and supplications. We stand still. We remember So Jesus can be exalted in our lives and we can move as he moves first, following wherever he leads. And we remember what God has done, not so that we can die and leave everything forgotten and covered in dust and stones of rubble so that future generations have no idea of the goodness of the Lord. Instead, we pass on what God has done in the past to future generations, and in doing so, we pass on the faith to them. And if we don't do that, God will still do that. But he'll use another generation. Did you know the generation under Moses? They all died. They died in the wilderness because they were faithless, and they had no concern for passing on the faith. And what did God do? He simply did it with the generation under Joshua. The same is true for us. I want to leave you with this. Joshua chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. Hear this as I close. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. What a mighty God we serve. The only way we can say that, and the only way our children will ever say that, is if we pass on that faith to them. Just as the Lord has preserved this word in the Old Testament of Joshua for us so that we might say, even today in the midst of whatever we're going through, the Lord is mighty. He delivered then, he will deliver now, and children, he will deliver you too, if you will trust him. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish his purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of his word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.